Amen. But John chapter number 19 this morning, we're going to start this gospel initiative month and uh, just something the Lord's put on my heart and I was thinking about this of sharing the gospel with people, watching God save people. I said, wouldn't it be amazing? We got revival in a few weeks, uh, March 19th through the 20th. Wouldn't it be amazing for us to go out and share the gospel so we watch God save them and then to get to sit in the first revival they've ever been in? Wouldn't that be something? Don't you remember your first revival? Don't you remember that first time you got in the church service where it was on steroids? <laughs> and it, I mean, not that normal church was as bad or as boring, but you ever, you ever been in one of those? It just cuts loose. Amen. I can't explain it, but I sure have enjoyed it. <laughs> I've been in some, amen, and there was fellas that did things I just physically can't do, amen. I'll run and take 16 laps. I, if that was me, that, that revival would turn into a funeral. <laughs> I'd be dead somewhere. All that running around. All that. But listen, I, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Don't you remember yours and how, how excited you were and how, how wonderful it was? Don't you want somebody else to experience that? Don't you want somebody else to know what it's like to sit in the presence of a thrice holy God? And God just to minister to their heart and God just to help them with life's problems and God just to encourage them and strength, God to call them to serve him. Oh, preacher, I would love that. Well, then you're gonna have to share the gospel. You're gonna have to share, there's no, way, no other way. No, preacher, that's your job. No, it's every Christian's job. It's every Christian's responsibility to share the gospel. And we're gonna focus on that this month. We're praying for revival. Right? We're praying for God to work in our hearts and to revive our church and I think so many times we get that confused of what that is. It's more than just a good service, right? We go to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, should confess their sins and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. And we get so focused on revival, just, just getting us back to a spiritual place of, of, of peace and a spiritual place of uh, contentment and all that wonderful stuff. But reality is our commission isn't just to have good church services, it isn't just to be encouraged in the Lord. It isn't just to be, uh, have a, a wonderful time within the walls of our, our church building. But we ought to have a revival of the Great Commission, of sharing the gospel. That's, what we're, that's why God left us here. I love shouting. I love singing. I love preaching. Amen. But if this is the only message I've preached uh, this week is behind this pulpit to you people, I'm failing. I'm not carrying out the Great Commission like God has called each and every one of us to and so my heart this month is for God to give us a burden. That a burden that turns into action. And an action where we can see the fruit of that, that, that action, the result of that in our everyday lives. That's why it's not just go share the gospel and have a wonderful time. Come back and tell us about it. Write it down and we'll pray over those things. And we'll, we'll, we'll go some more over that tonight. But I'd encourage you, uh, the purpose in your heart now, Lord, make the Great Commission great to me again. That I can't live my daily life without sharing or telling somebody or being a witness for Christ. I'm not saying you gotta go find people, sit them down somewhere and preach the gospel to them in that sense. But not just live it, right? I, I'm, I'm not for lifestyle evangelism. The Bible says it doesn't say how shall they hear or how, how shall they, you know, what's it say in Romans now? I done forgot it, amen. But notice this morning, it doesn't tell us that, you know, how shall they without, without a preacher, right? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? It doesn't say go and just live a good life and hope they come and ask you a question. It doesn't say just you know, walk up and down the street and, and be a good example. We ought to be a good example. But the, 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 the commission, the action, the instruction, the, the order is to preach. Now this morning if I came up here and I just did a whole lot of hand motions and a whole lot of moving of my feet 
and a whole lot of pointing at my Bible, you would say, what is he doing? Right? If I don't speak, there ain't much preaching going on. <laughs> there ain't much being said. And so we are called and commissioned to share the gospel. But I want you to look at John chapter number 19 this morning, and, and we'll get into the, 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 the nuts and the bolts of the gospel in all these weeks that we're going to go into. What is the gospel? How does it apply to people? And who, would, who does it apply to and who does it work in? And we'll look at all that this month, but I, I want to I look at two men this morning who are just like me and you that have been saved by the grace of God. These men are disciples. Now, if I were to tell you this morning to name the disciples of Jesus, we'd instantly go to the 12, right? The apostles. We'd go to men like Matthew, John, and Peter, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and all those other fellows that we don't ever remember. Right, we would name those, right? But those were the apostles. Those were the 12 that Jesus hand-selected that walked with him and, and talked with him while he was alive and walking this earth. And, but I'm glad this morning it does not require, it's not required of you and I to be an apostle to be a disciple. What is it required to be a disciple? One who has been saved by the grace of God and has a desire to serve the Lord. And we're gonna see here this morning that we've got two men, they're disciples, they know who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. One of them has stated about him every time that he believes that there's the kingdom of God is coming. But we're going to see something about him this morning. I think that's where we find a lot of ourselves in. We could say this morning, these two men are secret disciples. And I think a lot of times in our life, we allow ourselves to become secret disciples as well. And that's not how God designed it nor desires it. There is no such thing as the special forces of spirituality. Right? We are called to be soldiers, good soldiers. But we are called to preach the gospel visible, audibly, loudly. Notice here this morning, John chapter 19, verse number 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never, how many glad God has two gardens? <laughs> One plunged man into, into sin. The other delivered man from sin. <laughs> well, that's a good study. Some of y'all preachers go study that out. And preach a message on, I'm just gardening with the Lord, amen. Hey, I gave you the title. You can just give me credit for it in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> Notice verse one, there laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews preparation day. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, the anchor holds. Lord, I'm so thankful this morning, Lord, my anchor is not in my church membership. It is not even in my good works. It is not in my ability or my education. Lord, my anchor rests in you this morning. Salvation was an experience in my life. I called out to you, and Lord, you saved me. But Lord, salvation is also a person. It is you this morning, Lord. We ask you this morning that you'd help us to glean from the word of God. Lord, encourage our hearts, challenge us. 
We ask you, Lord, over this month and these next few services, God, would you make the gospel real big in our hearts and our lives? Lord, it was so great when it saved us. It was so great when we heard it for the first time. It was so wonderful when we responded to it. Oh, Father, help us have that same heart for those around us. Lord, we ask you, Lord, by the end of this month, the gospel would be a part of our everyday life. It wouldn't be just something we plan on the calendar and we schedule out a few weeks at a time, but, Lord, it'd be who we are. It'd be how we live. It'd be how we think. It'd be how we respond in the situation. We ask you, Lord, this month, Lord, as we go and we share the gospel on purpose, or whether through track or through, uh, Lord, a, a conversation with somebody, we ask you, Lord, that you put us exactly where we need to be at exactly the right time. God, that we get to watch you birth somebody in the family of God. Lord, we, we get to watch somebody's sin burden be rolled away. We watch somebody gain eternal life. We ask you, Lord, you'd use us in a mighty way. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. And so we're going to see, as this month goes on, we're going to see the gospels for everybody, right? There's not anybody in this world who does not need the gospel. It is for everybody. And I'm glad this morning because if it's for everybody, then we'd have to have a gospel that includes everybody. I'm glad this, listen, I'm not a Calvinist, not anywhere near one, amen. I believe God's sovereign. I believe God has foreknowledge. I believe God has ordained. I understand what the Bible says. I'm not scared of those words this morning, but I also know the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so whosoever is possible is a candidate for salvation, then that means you and I as Christians ought to realize that every whosoever we pass in our daily life, every whosoever that is part of our family members, every whosoever that we work with, every whosoever that we see, on a daily basis, they need the gospel. And we're going to see this month, and I, my, my heart is that God would give us a desire for the gospel like we never have before. But I believe, listen, we can have the desire, we can have the, the want to, we can have the burdened heart and the broken heart and the burdened spirit. We can have all of that this morning, but if there is never a choice to put action to our hearts and our desire this morning, we will not make a difference. We will not uh, see the Great Commission play out in our life. Now, this morning, we pray for missionaries. We have the honor of supporting them around the world. And we expect them and we desire that they would share the gospel where they are. That's why we give them a monthly check. That's why we pray for them. That's why we support them. But I wonder this morning, if, if, the, if the roles were flipped in your life, would you be worthy of the support check? Could you, with the honest heart, say, I am doing what God has commissioned me to do? Preacher, I go to church. That's wonderful. Preacher, I pray. That's great. Preacher, I give in the tithes and I give in the offerings and I, 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 I serve at the church. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. But our greatest commission is to preach the gospel. Are you actively doing that? And there's going to have to make a choice. And we're going to see that these two men here this morning, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they, they, they go from a, a, a position as one person, as one kind of thing, and then somewhere in this chapter, in these verses, in this experience, they make a choice. That they are no longer going to be who they were and what they were comfortable with and accustomed to. And said they're going to be who God has called them to. And not just them, but every Christian. I believe every Christian this morning can go from a secret disciple to a sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ by looking at the following observations 
of Joseph and Nicodemus this morning. Notice number one, notice their description. You go down to verse number 38 and verse number 39. The Bible describes and attaches a description to both of these men. It says, Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse number He's a disciple of Jesus. You go and you read about Joseph of Arimathea, and this is recorded in all four accounts of the Gospels. You read this account about this man named Joseph, and he's got a wonderful, wonderful record. He's got a wonderful uh, testimony to the public. He, the Bible says he's a just man. He's an honorable man. He's a man who is, has a place in a, in this, in, in a seat in, a, in the thing called the Sanhedrin. He is looked upon on. He is respected by his peers. He's educated. He's got influence. He's got power. And yes, he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, he believes that Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom of God. Yes, he believes that Jesus is who he says he is. He is a disciple, but then there's that descriptive phrase in verse number 38, but secretly. But secretly. In essence, those who know Joseph and those who sit around him on the Sanhedrin, those whom he governs with and those whom he serves with and those who respect him know that he's a good man, but they don't know that he's a disciple. They don't know that he truly believes Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, he's respectable, but the greatest thing about Joseph Nobody knows. The greatest thing that ever happened to Joseph, nobody knows about. The greatest thing Joseph could have ever done in his life, nobody knows about. Because yes, he's a disciple, but in secret. Then you go down to Nicodemus, and notice what the Bible says about Nicodemus in verse number 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. Now, Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the book of John here in John 19, of course, in John chapter number three, where he goes to Jesus by night and he converses with him and Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't skip a beat. Jesus doesn't get sidetracked. Nicodemus walks in and he's trying to impress the Lord and he's trying to uh, be nice to the Lord and he's, he's telling him how he knows that he's obviously come from God and no man could do what Jesus does and Jesus doesn't say, well, thank you so much. What such kind word from such a great man. Jesus looks at him in his eyeball and says, ye must be born again. He doesn't waste any time. And Nicodemus, Lord, how can I do that? How can I enter back into my mother's womb? And the greatest verse ever known, about known to man, it's quoted everywhere, plastered everywhere. John 3, 16 comes from that conversation. For God so loved the world. And he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But here's the interesting thing. John 3 says, Nicodemus came by night. John 7 says, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. John 19, what does it say? And Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. Well, why would Nicodemus come by night? Well, you study Nicodemus out, he's a Pharisee. And he's not just a, a lower level, just working his way up the ladder. He's, he's new to this thing and he's, he's trying to get his feet wet and, and he's green behind the ears. No, Nicodemus is a ruler of the Pharisees. Much like Joseph, 
He's a man of power. He's a man of education. He's a man of great understanding. He's, he, 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 he understands all these different things about Judaism, about the law, and about the, the Old Testament. He knew it. He could quote it. But once again, just like Joseph Arimathea, all that anybody knows about him is what they see it during the day. They don't know this about Nicodemus. Why? Because every time he comes to Jesus, it's at night. Why? Both these men operated in fear. And this morning, I wish I could say that it's going to be some grotesque sin that is going to keep the majority of the mouths of Christians shut this morning. It's going to be some uh, uh, a tragic backsliding action, some terrible sin that we like to preach about because we know we're not the ones committing it. But rather, I think here's what's going to keep more mouths quiet than anything else when it comes to a Christian sharing their testimony in the gospel, it's fear. How do you know that? Well, look what it says in verse number 38. Why? Why was Joseph of Arimathea a secret disciple? It says right there, for fear of the Jews. Now, you read your Bible, you'll find out these men did make a stand for Christ prior to chapter number 19. But it was one of those, like, it's a kind of a stand, but it's not an outright stand. It's, it's I, I'm not going to agree to do wrong, but I'm not going to boldly proclaim why. Matter of fact, in John chapter, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter number 23 this morning, you'll read about Joseph Arimathea, he being on the Sanhedrin, and this is the same account that we've just read this morning. But you go down to verse number 50 of, of Luke 23, and it says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, one who sat on the Sanhedrin, and he was a good man and a just. The Bible said the same had not consented to the counsel in the deed of them. And so there was, when, when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin, they took a vote on whether to crucify him or not. And the Bible tells that Joseph, he believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God and tells us that somehow, in some fashion, he did not consent to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, the Bible doesn't say us how exactly how he did that, whether he raised his hand and said, no, I'm, I'm opposed, this man seems to be innocent, or the fact that he just didn't show up to the vote. But somehow, someway, Joseph did not consent to the crucifixion of Christ as he sat on the Sanhedrin. But nowhere does it say why. In essence, he didn't say, no, fellas, I'm not, listen, I, 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 well, I'm not going to vote yes to crucify this man because he is the son of God. Why did Joseph not say that the fear of the Jews? Of what might happen to him, what he might lose? In John chapter number seven, Nicodemus is once again, he's sitting there with fellow Pharisees and Christ is in the midst of them and they're already trying to plan how to take him out, how to murder him, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to make him exit this world. In Luke chapter number seven, verse, or excuse me, John chapter seven, verse number 48, the Bible tells us this, that, Let's see, where is it at? There it is. And how many, have, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus said unto them, speaking of the Pharisees, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, who? The one they had just asked the question, have any of the Pharisees believed on him? Nicodemus had the opportunity to stand up and say, I have. And let me tell you, it's the greatest decision I've ever made. When I met him that night, as I talked to him on a personal level, and he didn't, he didn't have to do new miracles, he didn't have to do all this other stuff that everybody expects out of him, he just told me how to have eternal life, and I've got it. That's not what Nicodemus did. 
He had that opportunity to be a bold witness for Christ. But notice what he said in verse number 51. He said, Doth not our law judge any man before it hear him and knoweth what he doeth? And that's, he makes a stand, but it's not that bold proclamation of the gospel. It's one of those, well, don't you think we need to hear from this man first before we condemn him? Before we try to murder him and take him out in cold blood? The Bible goes on to say, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. The Bible says every man went into his own house. Nicodemus made a, he made a semi-stand. I think we do that a lot in our Christian life. We make semi-stands, right? We, we, we don't say yes to things and we don't support other things. And we, we, we try ourselves, we, we withdraw ourselves and we don't do everything that everybody else does. That's great, that's wonderful. But the great commission is to preach the gospel, to boldly proclaim the truths of God. But so the Bible calls them secret ones. Why? Out of fear. Both these men operated and lived out of fear. And that fear caused them to be secret disciples. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever went to go share the gospel or talk to somebody and out of nowhere, fear strikes up in you? What are they going to say to me? How are they going to react? Oh, they're going to shut the door. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to never want to talk to me again. Why is it that when we go to carry out the Great Commission, what God has called us to do, to share the gospel, all we ever think about is what we might lose. Preacher, I might lose my job. Preacher, I, I might lose my, 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 my public standing, uh, my, my, my good report with my family and my friends. And preacher, I might lose my popularity. And I might lose this and I might lose that. How come we don't ever think about what we might gain? What is greater than seeing somebody who's on their way to hell, has no hope, has no joy, has no peace, and here you come, you've got the gospel, you've got the good news, you know it works because you're saved by the grace of God, and we sit quiet because we don't want to offend them, and we don't want them to get upset with us. We don't want our boss to get mad at us. Listen, I understand company time and all that this morning, but if you can talk about anything else at work and still be okay with it, but you never talk about the gospel, something is wrong. We can talk about everything to everybody else. But then what's the gospel? Fear. Oh, preacher. What are they going to say about me? Does it really matter if they split hell wide open? They're going to look at you and say, how come you never told me? How come you never said anything? Well, I was a secret disciple because I lived in fear. I'm not scared of the Jews this morning, but we're scared about everybody else. Preacher, what are we going to do if uh, that group shows up, the Satanist crowd shows up. One of the reasons why we weren't allowed or you're not allowed to take a, a good news club into the public schools here in Richmond County and things might be changed and we don't, we're, not, we're not sure about that, but they're afraid that if they open it up to the gospel, then they have to open it up to the Satan club. They have to open it up to non-Christian beliefs. What do you say about it, preacher? I said open it up because one of us has got the real thing. One of us can really make a difference. And it's, it's the gospel, amen. But notice here, notice their description. They were disciples, but secret. Does that describe you this morning? Preacher, I'm saved by the grace of God. Know that I am. Got Bible reasons to prove it. Preacher, I am a disciple. I'm a follower of Christ. But yeah, preacher, I'm doing it in secret. 
Not a lot of people know about it. I mean, I, I post about it on Facebook every now and again, preacher. That's pretty good, isn't it? So you can do better. We can all do better this morning. Well, I don't want to be a, a, a secret disciple. I don't want to be one that has the greatest news man has ever known, but no one knows that I have it. Notice this, the description, they were secret disciples. But notice number two, their decision this morning. Something changes the same verse that describes them in verses 38 and verse number 39. There ain't but one verse away and something changes. What changed for these men, preacher? What pulled them out of being a secret disciple? What, what caused their mind to change? And they said, you know what? We're not living in secret anymore. We're going to go boldly and publicly about our love for Christ. Preacher, what changed? A savior that was willing to publicly suffer for them. They walked and they observed Calvary and it changed everything. Let me ask you this morning, did Calvary change everything in your life? It did mine. Let me ask you, when's the last time you went by Calvary? Oh, preacher, I went by there when I got saved and I haven't been back since. Well, you're living far off from where you're supposed to be. Well, you need to take a daily trip by Calvary. And you sit there and you see Christ dying for you. You see Christ shedding his blood for you. And you realize that's what he went through, one to pay my sin debt. And I'm supposed to tell people about that. Boy, we loved it the day we got saved, didn't we? We were so grateful that Jesus died for me and he shed his blood for me and he gave his life for me. When's the last time we told somebody about that? We should be willing to publicly identify with him because he was willing to publicly identify with us. I'll die for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm willing to take that punishment for them. Preacher, how do you know, how do you know they quit being secret disciples? Well, verse number Verse number 28, excuse me, verse number 38 tells him, after this, Joseph Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. Well, notice Joseph, actually, he goes directly to Pilate. And here's the thing, Joseph's a man of means. Joseph's got servants. Joseph's got pull. There's many ways that Joseph could have asked for the body of Christ without making a public scene. He didn't have to go directly to Pilate. He didn't have to walk through the crowd and in front of the people up into Pilate's hall and say, Pilate, would you please give me the body of Christ? Well, he could have sent a letter. He could have sent a servant. And say, hey, go, go ask Pilate for this. And Joseph said, oh, no. That's my king. That's my savior. That's my Lord. If he was willing to do that for me publicly, I'll go to Pilate on myself or by myself. I'll go to Pilate in front of everybody else and say, give me the body. Now, you read your Bible this morning. The Bible tells us here that he besought Pilate. The other accounts say that he begged Pilate. Another account said he craved the body of Christ. As crazy as that, it's not, a, it's not a derogatory statement that he desired to do it more than anything else. But once again, here's Joseph Arimathea, a man on the Sanhedrin court, a man of power, a, a powerful Jew in his day, walks up to Pilate and begs for the body of Christ. Let me ask you, when's the last time you've seen Donald Trump beg for anything? When's the last time you've seen Bill Gates beg for anything? That's the picture. That's the understanding. Here's a man of those kind of means walking out in front of everybody else and saying, in essence, he's saying, yes, I, was, I am a disciple and I've been secret until now, but I need the Lord more than anything else. Would you please give me the body of Christ? 
Joseph's actions. There's Joseph begging for the body of Jesus in front of everybody. Then verse number 39, we see Nicodemus's actions. He said he came by night, but this time he's brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes. And here's the interesting thing. The Bible gives us the weight of those things. About a hundred pound weight. When's the last time you bought bananas and you took it home and your spouse said, how many pounds of bananas did you buy? We don't buy bananas by the pound. We pay for them by the pound. But we buy for how many are on the little stock there. Right? I need, well, there's six days in the week. I need at least six bananas on that bad boy. Right, so the Bible could have easily just told us, hey, Nicodemus came and he, and he had some aloe and he had some myrrh with them. He had some spices for burial. The things that were used in that burial process. But the Bible gives us the weight. A hundred pounds of weight. Preacher, why is that significant? Because it tells us you can't sneak that around. <laughs> I encourage you. I'll get you a hundred pounds worth of weight. And you try your best to sneak out of here with it. You ain't going to do it. You're either going to drag it or it's going to drag you. You can't tuck that underneath your shirt and sneak out of here. Can't shove that down into your pockets and get around. And so here comes Nicodemus. Every other time he's come by night. And the Bible says at this point it's, it's beginning to turn into night, but the sun's still out. So it's the evening time. Not the night time, but it's getting that way. And here comes Nicodemus. He's got 100 pounds worth of aloe and myrrh. He's not sneaking around with that. More than likely, he's got a donkey or an animal with a cart behind it that is carrying it behind him. You can't sneak around with a donkey. I've never even tried that. I know it's impossible. Unless you're Gideon. Gideon did it one time in the Bible. But notice here this morning, he's working his way through the crowd to get to where Christ is. Excuse me, excuse me, coming through. Hey, Nicodemus, why you got all that stuff with you? What you doing with all them spices? I'm taking them to the Lord. What? Aren't you a Pharisee? Aren't you, aren't you a ruler of the Pharisees? Aren't you a, a good Jew? He said, well, I was. Now I'm just a believer. That's my Lord. That's my Savior. I can see him work, walking through the crowd with 100 pounds worth of weight. I remember looking it up one time, and I couldn't find the statistic this morning, but that wasn't just a few dollars worth of spices. It was more than a man's yearly wages on that cart or carried there to the Lord. And so here's Joseph of Arimathea in front of everybody begging to a Roman power saying, give me the body of the Lord. And Nicodemus said, here, I've brought something to give to him. I've brought, a, I've brought something that, that I, 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 I'm giving him a great gift. It showed great devotion. <laughs> here's the thing. And not only did it weigh it smelled a lot. It smells like myrrh. You ever smell? Them things are pungent. That's a smell that you will never forget. Growing up, Roman Catholic, we used incense in our service. Those are always my least favorite services because that stuff smells terrible. And they just leave it in the church and they just let the whole church become smoky. And it's rough. But I can see as, as Nicodemus is walking through, where are you going with that? I'm going to the Lord. What you doing with all that? It's the Lord's. It's no longer mine. I'm giving it to him. They literally, a verse ago, they were secret and by night. Jesus dies for them. They watched their Savior die. And they said, we can't be quiet no more. We can't live in secret no more. 
I'm not gonna, Joseph, I'm no longer going to be a disciple in secret. Nicodemus said, I'm no longer going to go to him by night. I'm going to him right now. Then go down to verse number 40. Can't tell you how many times I've read this account and I've skipped over this verse. It missed a great truth. I was studying for this morning and was reading one of my commentaries and one of the men was talking about this verse number 40. Man, it just, made, it just blew my socks off. Look at verse number 40. Then took they who? Joseph and Nicodemus, the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Oh, yeah, preacher, they took them off the cross, and they just wrapped them up. They slapped some of that aloe and myrrh on them, and they placed them in a tomb. I found out that when they actually did there was a process to it. When a Jew died and they prepared their body for burial, they didn't just wrap them up. Under the custom of the law and the regulations of the law, they had to clean the body. Could you imagine there's Joseph and Nicodemus. They have worked the nails out of his hands. They've pulled the nails out of his feet. Now his lifeless body is laid down in front of them. And they prepare to clean the body. Not trying to be grotesque with you this morning. But if you get the picture this morning, man, it will help you. I could see them. They start at the top. And there they are in the, the hair of the Lord. And they're pulling thorns out of his brow. Say, so he did that for me. There's places on his face. His eyes are bruised from being buffeted. And they're rubbing that balm and that aloe holding there. And they're saying, he did that for me. They work their way down. And there's that gash in the side where the blood and the water flowed out and they're saying, he did that for me. There's his hands and they're pulling splinters out of his back from the cross and they're pulling out glass and clay from the cat of nine tails. He took that for me. And the more they, they cleaned and the more they looked over the body of Christ, they realized, man, he did a whole lot more than I ever expected him to do for me. Well, we need to get a fresh glimpse of Calvary, don't we? Because if we get a fresh glimpse this morning, we won't want to be secret no more. We'll say, he did that for me. Because that should have been me and you that day. That was the, the judgment and the wrath of God for sin of all humanity. And that should have been us. What would probably do us some good this morning, just spend some time going back over Calvary and saying, yep, that crown was for me. Those nails were for me. That cat of nine tails was for me. That side being cut and sliced was for me. That agony, the pain, the suffering, that was for me. And when you get a fresh glimpse of that, I don't want to be silent no more. I don't want to be secret no more. I want to be like these men and say, that ain't me no more. I'm going to be a disciple, not in secret, but in open, for what the Lord has done for me. Notice their decision. They decide to no longer be secret. Notice, number three, their difference and will be done this morning. John 19, verses 41, the Bible says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new sepulcher, wherever a man was yet laid. You read the other accounts, you find out that was Joseph's personal sepulcher. One that he had hewn out of the stone for himself. And Joseph said, I'm going to give it to the Lord. <laughs> you go on to read the tomb, which Joseph, his testimony lives on. You can go see the tomb today. Listen, that'd be cool to go see. Spend $7,000 on air, airline tickets to go see the, the empty tomb of Joseph Arimathea. I think it'd be worth every penny but I don't have to go see it today. How do you know, preacher, he's alive? Because he lives inside of me. <laughs> and the Bible says, it goes on, and there they laid, there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. 
What you have to realize this morning is when they, we understand the Bible says that Passover is about to happen, the most holy day in the whole Jewish calendar. And when they touched the body of Jesus Christ who was dead, both Joseph, a man who sat on the Sanhedrin, a counselor, and both uh, Nicodemus, a, a, a ruler of the Pharisees, when they touched the Lord, they, they, they negated themselves, they disqualified themselves from taking place in the Passover. Do you realize what you've just done, Joseph? Do you realize what you've just done, Nicodemus? You cannot take place in our religion's most holy day. Nicodemus probably said, it's all right. I don't need religion no more. I've got a relationship. But notice the difference that it makes. There's a tomb still there today. Then you go and you read in verse, in chapter number 20, resurrection morning. The Bible says the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early and when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter went therefore went forth and all the other disciples and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Look at verse number five. And stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Yet he went, not, yet went he not in. Then come Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. What was that? That's what Nicodemus brought. What are you trying to say, preacher? When these men quit being secret disciples and openly gave unto the Lord and identified to the Lord both things that they gave, the tomb and the linens with the, the, the spices on them, both those were concrete evidence to those who seen them that Jesus had risen. Can I say, why, preacher, why do we need to share the gospel? Because that is the concrete evidence that this world needs to know that Jesus is alive. Jesus died for their sins and he rose again the third day. Well, preacher, it's not going to make that big of a difference. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I'll share it, preacher, and I'll do that, but I, I, I mean, I've done it before and it hasn't really changed anything, hasn't made a, a big improvement on anything. I'd beg to differ because you never know who you're witnessing to. You never know who you're sharing the gospel with. They, they may be a person of, of great influence now, but just imagine under the grace of God and the power of God who they could be. There was a man by the name of Mr. Kimball. And Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at a church. I believe it was in Chicago. But he taught the young men's Sunday school class, young boys' Sunday school class. And there was a man in his class named Dwight. And he got a burden for this young man named Dwight. Because of his age and the day and age it was, Mr. Dwight, or the young boy Dwight, had a job at his uncle's shoe store. He'd work in the back, and he would, he would wrap up shoes, and they would put them out for sale, and all that, one, that kind of stuff. And that's where well, one day Mr. Kimball had a burden for Dwight. He said, I'm going to go to where he is, and I'm going to share the gospel with him. And I'm going to give him a presentation of the gospel. And he records his own account that he goes in there and he, he goes back behind the counter and he begins to speak to this young man named Dwight. He said, in the presentation that I gave, he said, it wasn't a good one. He said, I wasn't pleased with it. He said, I felt like I fumbled all around and I failed with it. He said, and for some reason, that young man named Dwight right there in the back of that shoe store asked Christ into his heart and got saved by the grace of God. He said, I can remember how that happened. 
And so I was amazed that God even worked in, in spite of my imperfections and my failures. Now that young man named Dwight, we probably know him more as D.L. Moody. Got saved because one man had a burden. Who said, you know what, I'm not going to be secret no more. I'm going to walk into the middle of a shoe store in the middle of the day and share the gospel of someone who God put on my heart. And I encourage you this morning, if we are going to make a difference with the gospel, we're going to have the purpose in our heart today, I will no longer, I will no longer be a secret disciple, but I will be a public one for Jesus Christ. As the Lord moves, as the Lord leads, I will share the gospel. I will pass out tracts. I will tell whoever I can because I want to make a difference in somebody's life. There's a lot that we can do. We can feed people. We can open up wells. We can give electricity and pay power bills, all that wonderful stuff this morning. But our great commission is to share the gospel. And it's going to take Christians who are no longer secret disciples. So I'm going to ask you this morning, we're going to have a time of prayer, time of invitation. Are you okay with still being a secret Christian? Well, you say, today's the day. I'm going to make a commitment to God that I'm going to be a public disciple, a public witness for Christ. I'm going to share the gospel to whoever I can, whenever I can, because I want to see the gospel make a difference in somebody's life. Let's all stand today, every head bowed, every eye closed.